Hey guys, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So chapter 20 continues with Surah Al-Namal. And the Surah continues talking about all the proof Allah has given us in this world that prove Allah's power and existence. Allah asks us to reflect, like really, really think about this universe. We've already went over a lot of little details about the world that we didn't think was a big deal. But now that we hear Allah describing these things, now we're finally like, whoa, we take all of it for granted. The sun, the moon, gravity, the earth's rotation, everything. Allah has designed this universe in such an extraordinary way that we will never truly be able to understand how delicate and complex the design is. The tiniest of tiniest details we don't think about that make a huge difference. We learned about the mountains and how they're able to keep the earth stable. They act as anchors deep inside the earth that stop tectonic plates from moving too much. We learned about the sky and how it's used as a shield, a huge umbrella, to shade us from the sun and harmful UV rays. How Allah carefully and beautifully raises the sun slowly and gently. Everything is so precise and perfect. Did you know if the earth didn't rotate, we wouldn't have seasons? We wouldn't have summer, spring, and fall? And half the earth would be frozen. Or how about the distance the earth is from the sun? If it was even a tiny bit closer, we'd be burning up. Allah asks us, who do you think did all this? Allah asks the believers, do you really think your stone god did all of that for you? And of course, atheists could easily just say, this is science. Science explains all of this. Fine, science does explain all of this, but science is explaining all of this now. Now we have the equipment and tools to be able to understand all these things. Ask the atheist next time, how the heck did the Quran include all of these things thousands of years before? They won't have an answer. Allah asks, who do you think answers your prayers when you're desperate and in trouble? Who do you think removes your problems for you and helps you? Only Allah. And the Quraysh had witnessed this before already. When the huge famine came, they of course asked their stone gods for help, but they obviously couldn't help them. They had to come to the Prophet and ask him to ask Allah to stop the famine, and Allah did. Yet still, they just didn't want to listen. They did not want to change. They did not want to admit that they've been wrong for their entire lives. You know how when people ask what came first, the chicken or the egg? Allah is asking the same question. Who do you think created the beginning of everything? Where did everything come from? For those that haven't taken a science class in a while, this is a bit of a head scratcher, but I'll go slowly. Science today knows that the Big Bang is what gave birth to the universe. Before that, there was nothing. No universe, no stars, no planets, zilch. There was just a dot. Then boom, the explosion expands and creates all the planets and stars. And the universe is constantly growing and expanding. The world of ours started off as a huge molten rock. No grass, no trees, no oceans, nothing. Just a ball of molten lava everywhere. So how the heck did we get from a huge ball of lava to having oceans, to having forests, trees? Where did organisms come from and how did they survive on a ball of lava? We know today that every living organism has DNA. DNA is what tells the cells if they're gonna be a bird, a monkey, or a tree, or a flower. Where did that DNA come from? How did all those different species develop? Dinosaurs on the land and in the sky, animals in the ocean and on land, who designed them? Where did their DNA come from? Our DNA comes from our parents, flower DNAs come from their seeds, but who made the first DNA? Allah did, that's the answer. Allah made that happen. Think about it, one tree makes fruit, the fruit drops seeds and it makes more fruit, and then seeds from that fruit makes even more fruit. And this has been going on for the past millions of years, and it's Allah who has put these organisms on autopilot. 
If fruits didn't have seeds, then that tree would just make 10 apples and then die. That's it. Once you eat those 10 apples, there is no more apple tree. Yet, Allah has allowed these organisms, even us, to continue creating more and more. Allah has all the knowledge of this world and of the unseen, meaning only Allah knows everything about the past, present, and future. The disbelievers were asked, show us proof of your stone God's power, even a little proof, make it rain or something, anything, but nothing would happen. The disbelievers just didn't understand the concept of afterlife. How is it that we will come back to life after we die? When people don't believe in the hereafter, they think, okay, I can be as bad as I want in this world. If I don't get caught by police, then I'll never be punished. As soon as people start realizing that they will get caught by Allah after they die, then hopefully that forces people to be more careful with how they act. But of course, it's even hard for us Muslims to imagine the hereafter. If we truly understood it and feared it, we would be just as scared as if we committed a crime on this earth and the police was looking out for us. Allah tells us, when the trumpet is blown to announce the Day of Judgment, everyone will be going crazy. They will be pooping their pants. We've all taken an exam before, right? Where we haven't even finished halfway yet and there's only two minutes left. You're sweating like crazy and you're panicking. Multiply that feeling by a million and then throw in some earthquakes and screams and the Day of Judgment is still worse than that. Except for the people who were prepared. Except for those who listened to Allah and loved Allah. They'll be waiting in a VIP box just chilling. Obviously, I'm making this example up just to make a picture for you guys. That's not how the Quran actually describes it. So this is where Surah An-Naml ends and the chapter continues with Surah Al-Qasas. So this surah was revealed right after Surah An-Naml and it continues with the same theme, proving wrong all the issues the disbelievers had with the Prophet and the Quran. So the surah begins by referencing Prophet Musa story. And this time, it is to show how Allah has the best plan for everything. How if we put our trust in Allah, then Allah will always help us win. So obviously we know that Allah had sent Prophet Musa to take down Fir'aun. But Musa didn't know this until way later in his life. But the chain of events, the domino effect of how one event led to another and another, Allah has planned it so perfectly. So Prophet Musa story starts with Allah telling Musa's mother to put him in a basket and into the river. This is because the Pharaoh heard a prophecy that a Jew baby boy was going to grow up and kill him. So he ordered all Jew baby boys to be killed. Who would ever think of floating their baby down a river? No one. But Allah planned it that way. And out of all the places the baby could have gone, it was found by the Pharaoh's wife and she took him and adopted him. Imagine, Fir'aun happily adopted a baby without realizing that this baby was going to be the one to grow up and destroy his kingdom. Now when Prophet Musa salam's mom floated the baby down the river, her daughter, yeah, she had a daughter, the daughter followed along the river to make sure the baby was safe. So after the Pharaoh's wife found the baby, the baby obviously needed to be nursed. But for some reason, the baby just would not take the milk from any of the nursing servants. At this time, the guards caught the sister following the baby and brought her in. Her excuse was that she was just curious. But she said, wait, I know someone who might be able to nurse the baby. And who do you think she brought? Yup, her mom. Musa's mother was obviously very sad to lose her baby, but subhanAllah, look at the way Allah brought her back with Musa salam. So we went over this part already where Musa grows up inside the palace, he loves helping people, and one day as he was trying to stop a guard from beating a citizen, he accidentally killed a guard. So he left the city since the punishment of killing is death. That is where he went to the city of Midian and you know, he saw people struggling with some work and he offered to help whoever he could. Musa came to the city with nothing, but these acts of kindness to these strangers helped him not only find his wife, but also a place to stay. So this example is a great lesson for all of us, that if we are in need of help, if we are waiting for Allah to help us, 
the best thing that we can do is help others. It is said that whoever helps remove another person's problem, Allah will remove a problem from that person's life. <laughs> Beautiful, right? So if you want your problems to go away, then help others wherever you can, however you can. So as the story goes, Midian is where the Prophet Musa met his wife and stayed there for many years. Then Musa decides to travel back to Egypt with his wife and as they stop for the night, this is where Musa saw a random fire and went to go get some fire to keep his wife warm. And that's when out of nowhere he heard a voice and it was Allah giving Musa salam his first revelation. Before that, he had no idea that he was going to become a prophet. He didn't ask either. So we know how the rest of the story goes. Allah gives the Prophet Musa salam the tutorial on all of his miracles that he will show Fir'aun. Him and Prophet Harun go to the Pharaoh, the whole magic showdown happens and in the end, the Pharaoh drowns and dies. The point is to show that when Allah chooses to help someone, when a person chooses to trust Allah, that person has the best support in the world and Allah will help that person no matter how impossible or difficult things might seem. Look at how Allah planned this entire story from when Musa was a baby to how he grew up inside the Pharaoh's home. Prophet Musa was one person who went up against the Pharaoh, his army and half the kingdom. One person with the help of Allah can take down any problem. So next time when you ask Allah for help, do not doubt or question. Oh man, how is Allah going to be able to help me? Nothing is impossible for Allah. You have to trust Allah the same way Musa's mother trusted Allah when she floated her baby. As crazy as your situation might be, you must, must, must trust Allah and be patient. So after the Prophet Muhammad told this story to the Quraysh, imagine this is a 2000 year old story that the Prophet is telling with super accuracy. The Quraysh knew that the Prophet Muhammad was an uneducated person. He had no access to any source to get such accurate information. So you'd think it would be a clear sign that the story came straight from Allah. But stubborn people will always be stubborn, right? After hearing this story, they said, Okay, well, if Musa had so many powers he showed as signs, how come you don't have any? How come God didn't give you a cool stick that turns into a snake? And of course, Allah has responded to this many times already, that the proof is the Quran. The proof is these accurate stories. Allah tells the Quraysh that your people during the Pharaoh's time didn't believe even after seeing all the signs. And you people won't either. Allah knows they will not believe even after Allah shows them a sign. And Allah doesn't want to send another sign because as we know, if Allah does, then their time runs out and they are immediately erased if they don't accept. So it's better to just give them more time and hope that they can see all the signs that are already given and make the right choice. So the Quraysh did not like this answer. So they said, fine, no sign, then we won't accept the Quran. And so Allah tells the Prophet to tell them, okay, fine, ask your God to make a better book. Come on, ask them. And nothing, no book. It is said that any Jew or Christian that reads the Quran and accepts Islam, their reward is double. Why? Because these people were already believing in Allah and then by accepting Islam, they remained true to Allah. They gave up all the wrong things they learned in Christianity and Judaism. Allah makes it very clear to us that He's not cruel or unfair. Allah doesn't just wipe away people without giving them a chance. He always gives people a chance. Many, many, many chances. And then after, when there's no hope left, that's when Allah hits the delete button. Allah tells us again, wake up people, connect the dots, take my message seriously. This world is temporary. Do not get distracted by it. It's hard though, right? We convince ourselves that we are doing a good job, keeping a balance, that we are good Muslims and you know, we're doing the best we can, right? But are we really? Like, are we really doing the best we can? I don't think so. We lie to ourselves so that we don't feel guilty. But then what happens? 
problems come in our lives and make us realize that we are definitely not doing enough, that we can definitely improve and do more. Our desires for this world can become very dangerous for us. And it's so hard when we look at the people driving Bentleys and Rolls Royce, when we see the gorgeous mansions that they live in on the beach or the hill, being able to travel first class and see the world. It is so hard to look at that stuff and not want it. Again, it's not wrong to want it. As long as you don't want these things more than you want Jannah, as long as your priority is always on Allah and to make Allah happy, then it's okay to enjoy these desires. But not if these desires make you forget Allah or keep you from praying and reading Quran. If you think just because you pray five times a day and fast during Ramadan that you're technically balancing properly and now you can do whatever you want and chase money. No, praying five times a day and fasting once a year is not enough. That is just the beginning, my friend. That is just the beginning. That is the bare minimum that we should all be doing. There is so much more you could be doing. So again, do not fool yourself that just because you pray five times a day or say Alhamdulillah once in a while or that you don't drink alcohol or eat pork that, oh wow, I'm doing so much, I'm doing enough. No, it's not enough. Allah says Jannah is for those people who did not seek glory on earth. Meaning, Jannah is for those people who didn't care about being popular in this world. They didn't care about attention, wanting to be seen as successful and powerful. The true believer doesn't care about what people think. The true believer only cares about what Allah thinks and how he will be recognized in Jannah because that's where you really want to be recognized. Do you want attention and recognition for an hour in this life or forever in Jannah? The answer is obviously clear, but it's hard to apply it in our lives. We care too much about what society and friends think of us. Why is it that success is only based off of how many degrees you have, how much money you make or how many Instagram followers you have? Why? Why isn't success based on how many good deeds you do or how many people you've helped, how much patience you have or how emotionally strong a person is? That is true success. So this is where Surah Al-Qasas ends and the chapter continues with Surah Al-Ankabut. So this surah starts off by saying, do people not think that they'll be tested? Do people think that just by saying, I believe in Allah and His Messenger, that that's it? <laughs> that that's all you need to get into Jannah? Absolutely not. Saying you're a Muslim and that you believe in Allah is not enough. Praying five times a day is also not enough. Remember, you're sitting in a classroom right now taking a test. You will be tested based on what grade you're in, what level your iman is. So those who don't know much and those with weak iman, they'll start at a lower grade. Allah sends them tests based on their level so that they can learn and then get into second grade and third grade. You can't give a high school level exam to a first grader, right? Allah doesn't do that either. But for the first grader, whatever he's learning, obviously to us it's baby stuff, right? But to them, it's really hard because they've never learned it before. So that's really important to remember. Do not look down on other people's problems or that your problems are bigger than theirs. No, both problems are hard for each person. The stronger your iman gets, the harder the problems get. That's pretty understandable, right? A college level student isn't given middle school level tests, right? That's too easy. The tests have to get harder so that you are pushed to learn more and more. You learn pre-algebra in middle school, algebra in high school, and then calculus in college. You can't learn calculus without first learning algebra, right? So remember, your problems right now are preparing you for your problems in the future. So say you didn't pray at all. You go through hardship and you start to pray. That's good. Now a bigger problem comes. Now you learn that praying five times is not enough. Now you learn more skills. Now maybe you pray sunnah salah too. And the next problem, maybe you start doing dhikr. With each harder problem, Allah pushes you to put more effort in, learn more, and do more. And this test will not stop until the day you die. When we really want to get into a fancy university, how much work do we all put in? 
all the volunteer work, the extra credit, playing sports and instruments to put on your application, you put in so much effort. So why is it for Jannah, people do bare minimum and expect to get rewarded for it? I'm not saying praying five times a day is not a huge deal. It's a huge deal and accomplishment for the person that's never prayed, just as it's a huge deal for a kindergartner to learn ABCs. But there is always more that you can do and should do. And remember, the harder the tests, the bigger your reward will be. Allah reminds us, make sure you are good to your parents. You must obey them unless they tell you something that's against Islam. Even if they are bad parents, always be kind to them. But this should not be used as religious blackmail where parents take advantage of their kids and abuse them emotionally and physically. No, that's not right. You don't think Allah is watching? Of course Allah is. And He will help you get out of that abusive situation. Allah briefly mentions the stories of Prophet Ibrahim Prophet Noah, Prophet Lut, and Prophet Shuhib as an example to show us that the most tested people were the prophets. They went through the worst. I mean, Prophet Noah's test was 950 years long. But point is, they were humans just like us with the same emotions and same pain. And despite the fact that they were beloved prophets, Allah didn't make their lives super easy. No, Allah made them wait extra long. But Allah would always help them out in the end. This is so that we can put our problems into perspective. Look how much effort the prophets put in, the patience and the trust they put in. We are such babies. We put in 2% of their effort and then expect miracles to happen. Allah says, do not depend on anyone else but me. You know how fragile a spider web is? Ankabut means spider. Allah says, the people you depend on, you're depending on something that's weak, like a spider's web. People will always disappoint. But Allah, on the other hand, will never disappoint. So this is where chapter 20 ends. Surah Al-Kabut continues into chapter 21.